Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Sasha Grumman from Rosalie Italian Soul coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene and a frequent traveler when that sort of thing is allowed. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Glad to be here. Glad that you're here. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. Obviously, let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, no bigger news than that Texas Governor Greg Abbott has allowed Texas restaurants to reopen for dining in service beginning Friday, May 1st. And uh, there's there's a lot to break down here. Obviously, he has uh, promulgated some mandatory regulations um, as a minimum. And, of course, there's Federal Grill, which opened last week in spite of orders from both the governor and Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo uh, prohibiting it from doing so. So, Matt, uh, spin the wheel of topics. Tell me where you want to... Well, let's start with Federal Grill. What was your reaction to owner Matt Bryce's decision to reopen his restaurant even when the government said he shouldn't be doing that? Uh, You know, I don't know. I mean, I... I didn't go. I wasn't planning on going. I don't know that it would have mattered if he would have waited until this Friday for me to go or not go. You know, it it was a lot of uh, a lot of hoo ha. It caused quite a bit of consternation. People uh, people were either very proud of Matt for doing this. I, I, I guess I should say Mr. Bryce to differentiate him from from the Matt that I'm speaking with. Uh, people were either very proud of Federal Grill for doing this or very, very mad about it. You know, I thought it was interesting in the sense that he had a series of procedures in place, uh, limiting his capacity to 30%, having an employee monitor the restroom so that only one customer was allowed to use it at a time, checking people's temperatures, uh, well, employees' temperatures before the start of a shift. Uh, single-use items for things like condiments, sanitizing common areas like door handles, making sure that everything got, you know, tables and chairs got sanitized between uses by different tables. So, I, I mean, I, I think he's taking what amounts to reasonable precautions, but I'm still not sure that I'm personally ready to eat in a restaurant dining room. And and I guess that's that's really kind of where I want to shift the conversation, which is that you know, I, I miss eating in restaurants. I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I suspect you feel the same way. No, 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 no. I, yeah, that, uh, you, you can speak for me on, on this very limited subject. <laughs> um, I, you know, the undercurrent, um, there's sort of two things in, in society writ large, you know, this, this idea that, that we all have to pick a side. You're either, for Federal Grill or you're against Federal Grill and there's no in between. You know, I found what he uh, 
the procedures he put in, in place were, were very encouraging. It's something that I w- would definitely take into consideration when considering where to patronize. Um, I think part of me also thinks that the, uh, the market will, will drive some of this, um, not necessarily at this uh, 25% capacity, but you know, as things move forward and, and there are no occupancy limits, uh, th- I think the market will do a pretty good job of pushing yeah, some of I, these procedures. Well, right. I think as a diner, you want signs from a restaurant that they're taking this into consideration as an aspect of their service for you to feel comfortable sitting in a dining room. So, for example, the government uh, or the, the governor's recommendations only say that masks are suggested, but I feel like I don't think I would eat in a restaurant where the employees are not wearing them. Yeah, I mean, not like not likely, and and mostly just because I think it's something that's fairly simple. It just doesn't seem to be an issue that becomes a battle line, uh, if you will. Um, or a hill to die on. Um, <laughs> right. I, <We're, laughs> you know, we're the only maskless restaurant in, you know, five miles or whatever. It's good sure. Uh, right? You know, the, there, that's a way to differentiate yourself, no doubt. But, you know, at the same time, let's, let's remember when all this started, you know, masks weren't recommended. I mean, we were into the shutdown for, you know, a few weeks when masks became recommended. So, just adding a little context there. I still think that social distancing and points of contact are much larger issues that need to be addressed. But uh, I'm not sure that we are, we're at a point where we're focusing on solutions uh, versus narrative. Well, right. I, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I guess my my thinking on this point has been sort of what am I comfortable with? I mean, you know, I've spent like like many other people. I, I don't I don't mean to cite myself as any as any sort of exception, but you know, mostly staying home, uh, avoiding public places, avoiding interacting with uh, even friends and family uh, in person, and so, but but I don't necessarily know how other people have been behaving. And sure. so I am somewhat reluctant, I think at this point to sit in a dining room because I don't know what the other people in the dining room have been doing with their time, even with social distancing in place. I think I might, I think I might be ready to sit on a patio, you know, without the, cause the air is not circulating cause you're, you're out in the open. I, I, that feels safer to me, whether scientifically that's true or whether logically that's true or not. But I, I think I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm ready to sit in a dining room. But I do miss restaurants, and I do want to support them. And so, I, I do think I'm, you know, as long as the weather is somewhat reasonable, I think you will find me on a patio somewhere this weekend. Right, and I, it, it's uh, uh, it's point well taken, uh, and it's also something. Um, is uh, that you 
it, it's a personal decision that that each person has to make. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to certainly lean towards um, precaution over uh, throwing caution to the wind. And um, that's that's my that's my decision. So I wear a mask when I'm in public. I feel like I've been fairly socially responsible and, and the things that my my activities, you know, over the last five or six weeks. I think I would probably enjoy sitting on the patio. I have one in mind in particular that I think I would, uh, you might find me at this weekend. And, you know, I I don't not feel ready to eat in a restaurant again, but uh, there's still a lot of questions. I don't, you know, that's, uh, this is a a phased in reopening. And in some ways I feel like that's how I'm approaching my dining choices as well. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly how I feel too. I think I think I'm going to phase back in my restaurant going. I, I will continue to order uh, takeout, you know, curbside, whatever. And I think restaurants will have to continue to offer that, especially if they're only seating 25% of their dining room. And then I right, I, I think so. The first phase will be I'll sit on a patio. And then we've got these next couple of weeks to kind of see what happens. If if the number of cases spikes, then it's back home, stay home, you know, to go only. If the number of cases remains fairly constant or even decreases, you know, then maybe I'd start to feel better about going into a dining room, you know, a spacious dining room with enough social distance between the tables with sitting with friends who I know have been uh, behaving themselves and, and isolating. And, and then when will I feel comfortable in a full capacity restaurant and a crowded diet or standing, you know, standing in a crowded bar? I, I mean, I, I think we're, we're months away from that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, hanging over all of this is there's, there's been a shift in the world, <laughs> a very, very large shift. So, you know, I, I don't find this, sort of unnatural thinking of, of what my, uh, I, I mean, I expect my sort of here to for self, uh, to shift as well. Um, so I, I don't anticipate returning to my previous routine really across the board. And, uh, as you know, restaurants are pretty large part of that routine, but, uh, the bigger question to me is how this works for restaurants and employees and uh, vendors when you're uh, operating at 25% capacity, particularly if you've been closed during this? Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll see kind of what the response is. I mean, so far, the restaurants I'm hearing from that are reopening this weekend are places that have already been open for it to go. So they will now supplement what they have been doing with the ability to see 25% of their dining room. Restaurants that have been completely closed, well, I, I say that, but then uh, I think Lock Bar and Uzo Bay are opening up and they've been they've been completely closed, but of course they're also very large restaurants, so they can they can maybe get a decent number of people in and still maintain some social distancing. But uh, yeah, I think it's I, I think that the the 25% restriction is is burdensome if that's your only form of revenue 
and of course, it's not designed to be sustainable, right? This is this is what sure. Governor Abbott calls phase one, and then in as in approximately two weeks, we expect phase two. And so, you know, some restaurants have stated we're waiting for phase two, right? Uh, Tracy Vod on Facebook has said that that you know her and Hugo Ortega's restaurants they're waiting. You know, Backstreet Cafe and Hugo's won't reopen until phase two. Caracol will reopen once it looks like there's, you know, some office traffic in the Galleria area to sustain that business. And and Sochi could be closed for a while if it if they're waiting for, you know, hotels, conventions, and everything around uh, the George R. Brown to come back. So there's there's going to be, you know, whatever the government allows will not necessarily determine how businesses operate. Obviously, each each establishment has to make its own choice about whether it can operate in these various within these various restrictions yeah it's uh you know I, I, it, we're 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 getting more answers uh you know as we move through this but there's it still uh still more questions lot, lot, lots lots more questions so so give me give me one question that, that you would like to have answered before you uh before you sort of commit to patronizing a restaurant? No, I just mean in terms of questions, in terms of how all this works, you know, where it would. Sure. It, uh, it just a lot of uncertainty. I, I, you know, I, I think I could, um, I have the, some confidence levels of, of places that I feel that I could go patronize uh, this weekend. Not that I will, but I would feel comfortable doing that. Most likely on a patio situation. Yeah, I think kind of dip the toe in the water, if you will. Yeah, I I think that's I'm with you. I think I will I will find myself on a restaurant patio at least once this weekend and I'll see how that feels and see how other people are behaving. Right. Are are the other diners wearing masks when they're not eating, for example? You know, I think I would feel more comfortable with that if I saw that. Um, yes, I will have yeah. a mask, not because somebody needs to tell me to, but because I, for me personally, I think it's the right thing. I think it's reasonable, and I'm not sure why you wouldn't. Right. I, I think it is a basic courtesy that we are extending to each other in shared public spaces. Will you text that to me? So I, 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 <laughs> that will be my, my elevator speech going forward. Well said, sir. That, that's all yours. All right. I'm going to I'm going to move on. Let's go. Let's go on to topic number two. We have uh, a number of kind of new bars and restaurants. Well, at least three that I want to I want to touch on briefly. The first is Millie's, uh, an East Coast inspired seafood restaurant from Ken Bridge. He's the owner of Delicious Concepts. So that is places like Blackbird Izakaya, Ritual, Shepherd Park Roadhouse and uh, Lola. I got to say. The, the thing that I'm most excited about for Millie's is that Ken is planning on serving fried clams, which is a uh, an East Coast seafood shack delicacy that does not really exist in Houston. And I and it is one of my favorite things to eat when I am in that part of the country. So, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that there's terribly much to say about this, but but Matt, are you are you intrigued by Millie's? Do you anticipate that you will? Make your way up to Oak Forest to check it out sometime soon. Uh, sometime 
soon, probably not. You know, it uh, in the in the near term, say before the end of the year, perhaps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I think it's challenging. Um, this environment, you know, new concept, uh, but uh, the idea of uh, fried clams is is intriguing to me. I do enjoy them. They're, but I'm typically on the East Coast when I have them. Uh, you know, and Mr. Mr. Bridge has a good track record. So, you know, I think that bodes well. All right. And then topic number two, part B. Common Bond has leased the former Sam's Fried Chicken and Donut space at the corner of Heights Boulevard and 6th Street for a new concept they are calling Common Bond on the Go. It's a lot like regular Common Bond, except the menu is smaller and it has a drive-through. This will be the first of what owner George Joseph hopes will be several Common Bond on the goes. Matt, you're a Common Bond customer. Are you intrigued by the possibility of getting your croissant and coffee without leaving your car? Uh, I mean, if, if I'm in the area... And- they have Queen Amon's on there. <laughs> so, you know, no, I know I, I certainly see I see the fit. It's uh, it was probably a, a good fit, you know, before all this started. It's probably even a better fit after this. Well, right. When you're when your whole restaurant is kind of built on the idea of people standing in line to get pastries. Yes. Giving them the ability to get those pastries without standing in line. Seems like a really smart decision. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I, I am, uh, as you know, just fortunate to live a little bit closer to one. Um, so I, I feel like my needs are, are pretty well met. But um, it's a great location. I, I think they have a really good product and I would expect it to do well. Yeah, I will say that that Mexican chocolate donut in the Lee's slash Sam's days was a, a guilty pleasure of mine. And if I were in the Heights, like either in the morning or in the afternoon yeah, and just felt like I wanted to treat myself to a donut, the convenience of the drive-thru made that very easy. And I think just personally, the like, oh, it's like 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm going to see if they have those, you know, chocolate chip and walnut cookies or, uh, or a chocolate croissant or, or something like that, like a little snack. Uh, that that common bond on the go could be dangerous. Uh, 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 <laughs> a little pastry snack. Yeah, a little pastry. Yes, sir. Right yeah. the afternoon. Uh, I, I I'm with you. I'm well said, Dad, you, Daddy. You're full of well said today. <laughs> All right, and then uh, B three, as I have it labeled, or uh, I guess two two C to keep uh, consistent with uh, with the flow of our conversation. Roots, a new wine bar coming to Edo this summer. It features 50 wines on tap and a menu created by Chef J.D. Fouché, uh, best known locally for his work at Reef and Riel. Uh, Matt, I suspect you probably know J.D. a little bit. I'm familiar. Are you intrigued? Yes, uh, I, I am curious um you know as a non-drinker it doesn't quite pique my interest um as much but uh i'm certainly a fan and and appreciate a uh, more curated focus on the food 
So, uh, all right, all right, you 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 convince me. I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to say, I, you know, most wine bars, uh, the food menu is pretty limited, right? Charcuterie plates, panini. Uh, the food is not the draw; the wine is the draw, and and that makes perfect sense. But we have seen some bars where the food is so compelling that even people who don't drink might want to go there just to eat, right? I would put Better Luck Tomorrow in that category, maybe the Toasted Coconut. That movement hasn't really come to wine bars, at least locally. And I think Roots could be that wine bar. JD's got uh, enough of a pedigree and, a, and kind of a clear vision for a, you know, a seasonally rooted, locally sourced menu that will rotate. Items will come on and off you know, every few weeks. I'm in, I'm definitely intrigued. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, the space should be beautiful. They're working with Native Citizen, a local furniture store to source all the, the furniture and, and do the design. And it'll just be something a little bit different in Edo. I, I, as I was talking to them, I was like, okay, so you're more of a restaurant than a wine bar like How to Survive on Land and Sea. And you're more of a wine bar than Nancy's Hustle, which is a restaurant with a with a really great wine list. And they're like, yeah. It's like, okay. I I could be down with that, especially in like a, a date setting. Right. You know, where you don't quite know how the night is gonna go. So you start there with a glass of wine and the, the taps make it really easy to try things and should make things fairly affordable. And so, you know, if it goes well, maybe you order some food, you stick around. If it's not going quite as well you call it off move on whatever but you know Edo is certainly or you know they they might be far enough east to be east end I, the the boundary between one and the other always eludes me but i i'm sure i'll get emails about it one way or the other you, you know <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the pedantics of, yeah uh, <laughs> oh man i they're immune a, a, a brief degree i saw someone rip in the Sean Beck on Facebook this weekend because he had the temerity to describe uh, the Chinese restaurants as I went down to Bel Air instead of I went to Chinatown. And then there was a cross conversation about, oh, well, Chinatown's not really fair. You should call it Asia Town. Oh, I just I, I have no patience for that conversation anyway. Uh, but regardless, Roots is opening in, a, in an up and coming area. Uh, an area with a lot of exciting things happening. It will be a nice addition to that mix. And I look forward to both eating and drinking there when it opens this summer. Yes. There you go, daddy. I, I, for a second there, if uh, I thought maybe you're asking me out on a date, but then I realized you were just, just talking about roots. <laughs> well, maybe we'll find each other on, on that, that patio this weekend. Indeed. I like where your head's at. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to know where you have been ordering takeout from. Um, Well, I uh, have uh, been doing my my fair share. I've... uh, and all very enjoyable. I mean, it's uh, I've been impressed across the board um, with how quickly 
these places have adapted, you know, the online platforms, the handoff, the curbside delivery, this, just a small uh, shout out of appreciation uh, for their efforts. Um, no, I, I, I agree with you. And I hope that some of that stays around just because it's so convenient to be able to go online, look through the menu, pick what you want, modify it the way you want. And then you pull up, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes later, whatever it is, get it and you're gone. I just, it's, it's so convenient and of better quality than some of the delivery options, some of the usual places that I, that I do hope it continues. Yes. Yeah. Not to go down, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but agreed. I, uh, have been eating, uh, let's see, Riel. Very good. Always a personal favorite. I, I feel like I do need to, uh, was it four pork sandwiches? Yeah, I, it was, it was someone famous. I don't remember if Donkey Boy. Oh, Donkey Boy. Yeah. Donkey Boy apparently put down, uh, four pork sandwiches. All right. I'm in training. (laughs) Um, Give me yes. one more. Uh, so who's who's cooking? Click, virtual, Super Rica, La Lucha, Pizarro's, uh, Money Cat. Uh, we picked up Shun last night. But that's uh, that feels that feels moderately comprehensive. Yeah, I did the click thing recently. I had a very enjoyable. Meatball sub, you know, in some ways that concept is perfectly suited to this moment because it has always been delivery. It's free delivery within a pretty large geographic area. You just have to order it on their website or through their app. Yes. And it has I half a dozen concepts so that, you know, if you want tacos and a cup of clam chowder or uh, a meatball sub and a, a Filipino uh, style entree or, you know, a salad and something. Anyway, you know, you can you can pick from all the different concepts and it's, you know, one checkout, one bag. And they're really smart about the way that they package everything so that if you get like a fried pork cutlet with your Japanese style curry bowl, it comes packaged separately so that it stays crispy in transport. And they've, you know, Credit to Gabe Medina because he's really thought through all of those issues and and it's it's presented better than a lot of these restaurants that are getting into to go for the first time. Uh, I I have been a fan since they opened. Um, you know, and and I've I've recommended a lot of these places as well to people looking for for takeout options and have received unanimous positive feedback so yeah and then i i pulled i pulled the trigger on katarabata this uh this past weekend they had recently reopened and and i i just had to get you know some nigiri there's texas beef skewers the iberico shumai uh, just just you know all my kata favorites and i was impressed by the way they sort of held up you know i i picked it up right when it was scheduled to be ready i got it uh i got it home and and opened up between uh you know maybe 10 minutes after i picked it up so i felt pretty good about it and uh yeah everything was packaged well it was very tasty i was very happy true story and and i did uh i guess uh, missing the uh 
the Greenway Food Court, I uh, found myself picking up from Fijis as well as Burger John. I just I needed to check that box. Right. No, absolutely. And then uh, I got to try the uh, the hot wang sandwich that Antones is doing that raises money for uh, Houston Musicians Fund. So it's the one they made in collaboration with Bun B. It's the uh, the chicken breast with the uh, the buffalo sauce and the blue cheese. It's uh, it's very delicious. So that uh, was a good yes, <laughs> that uh, sounds familiar. It actually, reminded me that I picked up from Miko's as well. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, and then I, and then I was up in the Heights Friday night, and so uh, I got cultivar. A, you know, a, the backyard lettuce salad, a uh, an order of the black pepper spaghetti, and a, a crostata for dessert. Uh, that's just you know, uh, one of the best restaurants in Houston, and and it it travels pretty well, and and it tastes like what it's supposed to, and that just uh, that worked out really well. Yes, sir. Well, I think the uh, the takeaway here is Houston dining scene has has all the potential to be alive and well. And you know, we were I think at our peak before this started, and have uh, lots of uh, of hope that we will be there again shortly. Yeah, I think you know some places probably aren't coming back. They they probably aren't going to survive this. Uh, loss of business but but hopefully a lot of them do and and you know then we can start talking about all the the exciting new places that are going to open up so uh i'm i'm cautiously optimistic yeah and you know the really the the driver of that hope is <laughs> there are a lot of people that that worked in these restaurants that you know and and a good number of them don't have jobs right now and you know to, that's that's pretty that's a heavy burden. So, uh, through no fault of their own, you know, the restaurant or the uh, employees. So it'd be nice to get returned to a bit of normalcy for a lot of reasons. Absolutely. All right, Matt, that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, sir. All right. I will be right back with Sasha Grumman. You're listening to what's Eric eating. I am joined this week by Sasha Grumman. She is the chef at Rosalie Italian Soul, currently temporarily closed. Sasha, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, how are you? I'm hanging in there. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. doing this. Of course. I want to talk about kind of what you're doing now while you're away from the restaurant, but I always like to start these conversations at the beginning. So can sure. you tell me a little bit about how you became interested in the world of professional cooking? Um, so, you know, I grew up in Southern California and I went to college in Ohio and, you know, I'd always loved cooking growing up, you know, watching Food Network, Emerald was my idol growing up. Um, and I wasn't surrounded by chefs or people in the restaurant industry when I was growing up. So I never really saw it as a career, to be totally honest. Um, but I wound up coming home after college and graduating and being like, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, I started cooking a lot and I really wanted to travel more. And I found a program in, uh, through New York at the French Culinary Institute that took me to Italy for six months. And so I signed up 
and I made the commitment and I went to Italy for six months and I fell in love with food, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, that seems ahead. like a really good place to, to <laughs> I mean, one of the best, you know, culinary traditions in the world. Yeah. I mean, everything's beautiful, lovely. The food is perfect. You know, you're going to Culatello caves and you're, you know, in these amazing kitchens where there's only copper pots and everything is just pristine and gorgeous. So, of course, anybody's going to fall in love with that. Um, but I decided to move home and I was only home for a week and I actually found a restaurant in San Francisco that focused on Roman style food where I was working in Italy. And, you know, I thought it was kismet that, you know, they had been open for a year and I wound up applying. They brought me up for the weekend to do a stage and I was given a job three days later and I moved up to San Francisco with no apartment and, you know, couch surfing for a few months. And I wound up working at Delfina for over a year and a half uh, to start my career up there. Very nice. And then when did you meet Chris Cosentino and start working for him? So I went from Delfina to Hardwater to Aziza. And then Coxcomb was my fourth restaurant in San Francisco that I worked at. And I was part of the opening team there. And I met him there. And of course, his vivacious, magnetic personality was just really infectious and brought a lot of you know, energy to the team that I really gravitated towards. Okay, and then how long were you there before you wound up in, because you were in Austin, right, for about a year? Yeah, so after leaving San Francisco, I was there for about six years. I went to L.A. for two, and then I wound up going to Austin, um, and I wound up at Laundrette. Okay, and then how did you wind up reconnecting <laughs> with Chris and, and coming to Rosalie? I left Laundrette, and I was actually in San Francisco staging around and kind of checking out restaurants there. And seeing if, you know, maybe I wanted to move back to the Bay. And I was actually sitting in the airport uh, on my way back to Austin after I'd done a few stages. And he asked me, he called me and he said, call me back. So I called him back and he said, are you free? And I said, yes, I am a free agent right now. And he said, you know what? I'm going to offer you this job. It's in Houston. But... I'm going to tell you about it. It's near and dear to my heart. I know that you love Italian food. It's in your background. It's in your family history. Um, I really think you'd be perfect for the job. And so I went and visited Houston, did a little tour around. And a week later, I signed some paperwork. <laughs> Very nice. And I guess <laughs> it must have helped because Nick Wong worked at uh, Coffcomb with you, right? So, No, he was at um, Encanto. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he works with Chris, um, and then Chris introduced us, so I had a friend in the city already. Right, so so what was it about Rosalie that made that more appealing, seem like the right move, as opposed to going back to San Francisco? Well, San Francisco is obviously incredibly expensive and difficult um, to live a well-balanced life there, um, and I love Texas. I've loved you know, the quality of life and all of that. But Rosalie was really a huge step up for me. Um, I had been chef de cuisine for a couple years and executive chef was a huge, huge title and something to step into where I would be learning a ton. You know, 
being in a hotel, that's a whole nother game. It's a whole nother ball game. So I was really excited for the opportunity to learn. Yeah. So how do you feel like Rosalie had been going until, you know, March? I think Rosalie was super successful. Um, you know, we were making amazing food, uh, you know, really growing into systems and procedures and really building a strong foundation um, to a really successful restaurant. You know, we're getting more into the creative vibes right before this happened, actually, we were going to do a big menu switch up. Um, but really getting into the groove of, you know, not being just a new restaurant anymore, but really coming into our own. Yeah, I have enjoyed my <laughs> meals there and I have written as much. <laughs> Thank it, you. I mean, you know, I grew up eating that kind of red sauce Italian food. Sure. As comfort food, even though we're not Italian, like my family's not Italian, but we like <laughs> to go out for we like to go out for, you know, spaghetti and pizza and, and stuff like that. And so right. those dishes just kind of resonate with me. But I, but I was kind of ready to see what the next step was because you can only right. make like lasagna and pepperoni pizza and Frito Misto for so long before people are like, okay, what are you giving me that I can't <laughs> get at? Well, Olive Garden would be like the worst possible example, but but at like <laughs> other Italian restaurants, right? Like Right. What sets us apart? What makes us special? Exactly. Um, and, you know, the first menu rollout was really... Chris's vision and us executing. So, you know, we wanted to set the tone with what our standards were. And then, you know, as time went on, we were in that about six month mark where we had discussed, I would have more of a say in the menu and creativity wise. And, you know, and then this happened, but, um, I think there's definitely some new and exciting different things on the horizon for Rosalie that I'm going to bring to the table once we get this baby back open. Yeah, I, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about was just it is coming back, right? I, you, can't, you can't take that <laughs> restaurant away from me. No, that is, we are definitely not going to take that restaurant away from you. Uh, our date to reopen is still to be determined, um, but we are definitely looking forward to reopening and getting things back up and running. All right. So let's talk a little bit about kind of how you've been spending your time. I know one of the things mm -hmm. you've been doing is working for the Southern Smoke Foundation. Yeah. About the week after I was furloughed, um, I was looking at Instagram and looking at Southern Smoke and seeing what they were doing. And I could only imagine the volume of applications and inquiries they were getting and I saw a post that said, you know, our workers are working around the night to vet applications. And I reached out to Lindsey Brown and I said, hey, I've been furloughed. I'm super interested in helping. I would love to do anything I can to help you guys out. And she put me in touch with uh, Allison Lott and, you know, got me started right away and went straight into vetting applications and moving the process along. Yeah, I know you probably shouldn't talk about like specific <laughs> circumstances of any individual right. applicant, but but just just kind of walk us through that process because I, you know, we all see the numbers and, and Southern mm -hmm. Smoke announced last week that they've they've granted over a million dollars to people right. since this started, which is mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but just kind of like 
you get an application and you look at it, like what are the things you're looking for and, and what kind of decides like whether a person gets funding immediately or if it, if they sure. have to wait just a little bit. Sure. And I always like to be very clear. Nobody gets denied. Um, you know, there's no, Oh, this person doesn't, you know, this person isn't going to get what we're trying to give. Um, Basically, our qualifications are, you know, we're looking for people in food and beverage uh, specifically. Um, of course, there are exceptions to that. Um, but we're also looking, you know, full time, the severity of the situation. Uh, I think Chris did an interview. Chef Chris Shepard uh, did an interview about a month ago, and it was mentioning that things are basically life or death. Um, that is our priority. You know, we have to gauge an application. And, you know, unfortunately, there have been many where we are gauging that. Um, and it is quite a sobering experience. Um, it's an emotional experience. But at the end of the day, being able to red light somebody and get them through the process quickly because they needed funding a month ago. Um, you know, we are doing things to really save people. And it, me being in a position of being furloughed, I can't feed anybody right now. I can't make anybody happy that way. So being able to help this way has been really monumental in me structuring my life right now. And, you know, keeping this feeling of having a purpose. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, I know, I know so many people in the restaurant business who aren't working right now. And, right. And I know that having my, you know, make my little words for the internet every day and, and taking my dogs out for walks. I mean, those are the, like, yeah. you need day-to-day -day responsibilities to kind of yes. keep you grounded. Otherwise, you know, I don't, I don't know what you do. Right. I mean, what, how many, <laughs> you can only cook so many meals in one day and, you know, there's, coming from a work life where I was working almost every day of the week, mostly 14 hour days and going immediately to not having that structure. Honestly, in the beginning I slept, I slept a ton and I caught up on that and I right. rested. You earned um, it. <laughs> but after that, you know, you wake up and you go, what am I going to do today? So Southern smoke has really given me a purpose and I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity and working with somebody like Chris Shepard and the team is just, everybody has such a big heart. It is incredible to see this process transform. Yeah. I mean, I, and let me, I'll preface this question by saying you can, you can tell me to, to <laughs> like F right off. Um, <laughs> but like, how are you kind of finding life at home I mean, I think you're like me in the sense that you live by yourself with a pet. Yeah. Like, how are you kind of finding like life at home during this time? Because I, like, I personally am very torn between like, I kind of like being by myself mm -hmm. and I really miss the ability to just like go have a margarita on a patio somewhere. Oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> um, I love my alone time. I have been an independent person for a lot of my life and I am totally okay being alone. Um, you know, for the first month I said, wow, this is not that bad. You know, I 
I'm catching up on things. I'm, you know, becoming more active. But yesterday I was talking to a friend and I realized I haven't hugged somebody in over a month. And I was like, wow, that really sunk in, you know, this lack of physical contact. I'm like a PDA person. Like I love to like touch and hug <laughs> and, you know, like yeah. if I'm in a relationship, you're going to know it. Um, but yeah, so it's been a little difficult. There's definitely ups and downs of the day, but yeah, it's been a little bit difficult this round because that uncertainty is really starting to weigh and become a really crazy reality of not knowing when this is going to take the next step forward of reopening the restaurant and what's that going to look like. Yeah, I mean, you know, Matt Harris was on the show with me before and and yeah. I mean, we are starting, people are starting to have those conversations. I know, right? you know, there was a whole article in the New York Times on Sunday. David mm-hmm. Chang has been a part of that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, restaurants need, I mean, they're, they're not really getting any guidance from the government at this point. No. And so, I mean, to a certain extent, you're going to kind of have to figure this out on your own and then get feedback from customers about what people feel comfortable with and kind of go from there. Right. I mean, how comfortable on the very baseline, how comfortable are people going to actually feel sitting in a restaurant? Are they going to be wearing masks? Are the servers going to be wearing masks? Should we go to a digital iPad situation? Um, You know, it's going to be a lot different. And I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. She's a healthcare worker um, who kind of designs plans for businesses that are in healthcare and they're discussing opening up clinics and doing all of that. And, you know, I was kind of like, maybe we should have a conversation together about what should we be doing? How can we make sure that we're covering our bases Um, in a way that, you know, healthcare and restaurants haven't really been entangled before so much. Yeah. No, I think servers wearing masks Mm -hmm. and either gloves or having like Mm -hmm. really clearly stated procedures for when and how often they're washing their hands are going to be mandatory. And I don't know what you do about customers because I, I kind (laughs) of either you're going to have to space the tables far enough apart that I'm not worried about the fact that the other customers aren't wearing masks. Right. Maybe you wear masks in between courses. Do you cut off, you know, 50%. Of the tables, and but does that justify the amount of work that goes into running a restaurant? Right, the, right. The economic ramifications of fifty percent capacity, right? Because who designs a business to only be fifty percent busy? And then, right. and then you know the the thing that'll really flip your noodle is I was read or I <laughs> I listened to the New York Times the Daily podcast, uh-huh. and they had an episode last week. Um, where they describe something called the hammer and the dance. Have you heard this phrase okay. yet? No, so the hammer yet. is what. <laughs> all right. So the hammer is a current reality where everybody stays home and there's social right. distancing and no gatherings and all. And then the dance is kind of what we're easing into, which is it looks like things are getting better. And so, so we relax some of the standards and then we just kind of see what happens. And if the, the number of infections spikes, then the hammer comes back down and you, right. and you start all over. Well, right, right, right. if you're a restaurant, 
and you start to reopen for dine-in and then the hammer comes back down, I, I mean, you're fucked, right? Like it's, and just, then, it's not I mean, people are, viable. people are laid off again. You right. know, that's, that's like my biggest fear is I had to lay everybody off and it was so incredibly emotional um, that, and emotional for them, you know, on the phone with them, I could not imagine doing that again. Yeah. That was, you know, that was really, really tough. And, but I mean, we don't know, we don't know what could happen if it spikes again, we have to do whatever's necessary to make sure people are safe. Oh no, absolutely. So that's kind of the, this weird limbo that we're at and, and, Mm -hmm. You know, nobody really knows, like, what's going to happen. Right. (laughs) There's no rule book on how to deal with this. So, you know, I've entertained the idea of getting a bunch of chefs together, GMs, restaurant owners, restaurateurs, and get a bunch of people together so we can start having conversations about, you know, procedures and what we can and can't do, what we can legally do. Can we legally take somebody's temperature? You know, it's. Do we just trust and hope that people, you know, are coming to work and they didn't have a cough yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I think temperature checks for employees, Bravery Chef Falls doing that, Federal Grill said they're doing that. I I think that's, but you could be, you could be infected and asymptomatic. So, right. I mean, it's so mind blowing that the challenges of this thing are just mind blowing. Yeah. Incredibly mind blowing. And, I, my heart goes out to all the delivery drivers that are still doing deliveries and, you know, all the sanitation workers and the people cleaning. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of people out there putting themselves at risk to make sure we're fed and to make sure we get to where we need to go. And, you know, that's only going to increase and we can only hope that people take it seriously. Yeah, and I think that's why, so that's what I, I mean, that's why I think people wearing masks is kind of the minimum standard, right? Right. It's, it's just, it's it's like that, you have to show, you have to manifest that level of concern for other people mm-hmm. by putting a mask on. Right. Are you wearing a mask when you go outside? So, not when I like <laughs> walk my dogs and stuff. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm far enough away from people that I'm not right. concerned. But I went to order, I went to pick up a barbecue order uh, mm-hmm. last weekend, and there was a line, you know, of people right. waiting. So we were all like, you know, six feet apart, roughly, and almost everybody was wearing a mask, including me. And Good. I think in, in any kind of public setting, uh, right. I think that's like the going to the standard. market. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the market, or, or you know, I was driving around. Sunday afternoon and and thought about going to a restaurant and to get some food. And I, as Mm -hmm. I like got out of my car and started to walk towards the door, they're like, no, no, sorry. You don't have, you have to put a mask on to come in. And I was like, okay, like that's reasonable. Fair enough. I respect that. (laughs) You know, got my little mask. (laughs) Yeah. So fair enough. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you one other about one other aspect of your sure. uh, quarantine life, which is you've done a couple of online cooking demos. Uh huh. <laughs> and I just wanted to kind of know, like, because you're not like su- I don't think of you as like super active on social media, but I just yeah. was wondering how that experience has gone for you, kind of being a little more public um, and engaging with people in that way. 
So I do love the engagement. Um, it's been really fun. I've connected with, you know, complete strangers that have reached out and said, Hey, let's do a cooking demo together. Um, so that's been really fun. I did one with Maiden, um, cookware, which was great. I'm enjoying it. And you know, this whole time is about adaptation, right? So I may not be super active on social media, but if this is the way things are going to go for a little while, then that's okay. Um, and you know, I've, entertain the idea of doing, you know, classes online in which somebody would pay for the class and, you know, how that would work and how that would look. So the adaptation to the online cooking demos is fun. I mean, after you do like the fourth one, you feel pretty comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite dish that you've made so far? Oh, I think my favorite dish that I've made so far I mean, if I'm going comfort, I'm going carbonara, spaghetti carbonara all the way. Um, yeah, I made a carbonara the other night, and I had some caviar co, Ocetra caviar in my fridge, so I threw that in there, which was nice. Um, but also, you know, I have been getting boxes from farm to table, uh, produce boxes, and, you know, eating the rainbow. The more colors, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so... So I invited you on the show because you you posted something about thinking about starting a podcast. <laughs> yeah. But now that we're now that we're getting to the end, how do you how do you feel like how do you feel like this went? I think this is great. Um, I really really appreciate you bringing me on and inviting me on, and you know, doing more of this makes it feel more comfortable. And for me, I'm all about the conversation. You know, I think social media is an amazing amazing tool. But I think people are only showing a quarter of themselves on social media. And what about the other 75% of you? And, you know, I don't see your hard days and I don't see your struggles. And maybe the struggle that I'm having today where I feel alone, you're having the same struggle. Um, you know, this is this quarantine is hard. We're not used to this. We're used to moving and working and going out to eat and connecting and we're not doing that right now. So that's a huge void in our lives. How are we filling it? Are we filling it? Are we filling it with positive things? You know, I have a million questions for everybody and how they're dealing with it. And I guess my main thing is, you know, all of your feelings are valid and they deserve to be recognized, whether it's happiness for being successful right now and getting accounts with HEB, which is amazing. Or if you're sitting at home and you're a little depressed and you don't know what to do, like there's somebody to talk to and nobody's alone right now. So many of us are going through this. Yeah. And the other thing is I, I've told friends is, you know, don't like, don't be too hard on yourselves right now that you didn't, mm -hmm. you didn't cause this situation. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not your fault. And, and just try to celebrate your successes. Feel, feel proud of the things you've accomplished. You know, if you're making masks for your friends, like be proud of that. If you're, mm -hmm. you know, if you like got up and you've got a clean apartment and you got to some of those <laughs> projects that you've been putting off, like feel proud of that. And so celebrate your successes. Don't be too down on yourselves about your failures and just try to be a little better. You know, whatever it is, that has got you down. Like try to be a little bit better about that tomorrow or next week or whatever. Like you've got, 
you know, you've got this time, you might as well, Mm -hmm. you know, use it. Right. Yeah. All right. So I will say that does bring me to the end of my questions, but I can't let you leave without the lightning (laughs) round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Uh Uh-oh. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. (laughs) Sasha Grumman, what is your favorite ingredient? Onions. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, my God. Uh, John Mayer. (laughs) (laughs) What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. An In-N-Out double-double cheeseburger. Absolutely, for a Californian. All right, now this is is where it gets a little dicey. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Do you have a favorite Houston sports figure? Have you been here? Have you been here long enough? Um, is, does JJ Watt count? I don't know. He absolutely counts. Yes, it's a very popular answer. And then yes. And then finally, when you when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what is your go to order? Margarita, hands down. You can nail margarita. You're good in my book. All right. Sasha, give us your uh, your Instagram and stuff so people can can follow what you're up to. Cool. So my Instagram is the Fierce Chef, um, and yeah, that is my handle on Instagram. All right, Rosalie Italian Soul coming back soon. Yes, definitely. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.